0: Hello, everybody. I'm Matt Mikucci, and you are listening to Jazz's Travel.
1: Experiences, you're gonna wanna experience this. Open up your heart, the world is wider than you heard. Keep that in your mind, and you met with so well your work. Need you needed to travel. I had a lot of gravel in the mind to unravel. Now, inside the stream, I keep on flowing. Just order the stress in the LXL, then I get access Oh yes, people, that's true So the next time someone asks you what's the free Put a smile upon your face and just reply with the
0: Hello everybody, Jazz's online editor Matt McCucci here welcoming you to a new episode of Is Travel. This is a podcast series that explores jazz and creative music in all four corners of the globe, touching on cross-cultural projects, different music traditions and much more through conversations with or about groundbreaking, innovative and visionary artists. Melbourne producer-musician Jake Savona recently released Volume 2 of his visionary project, Mr. Savona presents Havana Meets Kingston, which unites the deep roots grooves of reggae, dancehall and rock steady from Jamaica with the scorching soul of Cuban sun, timba and salsa. The first of these albums was released in 2017 and it was followed in 2018 by a live version of the project that performed three world tours culminating with a show at the Royal Albert Hall that summer. But the story behind it is fascinating and includes its origins, how this amazing group of musicians and artists from these two different islands were brought together and how it all finally materialized in the most sensational way. But I best let Jig Savona himself tell you all about it and that's exactly what we'll do on this latest episode of Jazz Ace Travel so fire up on an Audiotini and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air here is our Jazz Ace Travel conversation with Jake Savona Hi, Jake. Welcome to Jazz Travel.
2: Great. Thank you so much for having me, Matt.
0: Jake, wh- what part of the world are you speaking to us from right now?
2: So I'm Australian, but right now I am in Havana, in Cuba, in the Caribbean.
0: You said it yourself. You are originally from Australia and specifically from Melbourne. So, uh. That's correct. Uh. The reason why I'm bringing that up, of course, is because w- before we talk about the latest installment in the Havana meets Kingston uh, series, uh, you know, uh, we, we should mention that, uh, there was Melbourne uh, meets Kingston before that. But just to start with, you know, I mean, I'm curious about how you developed into, you developed your eclectic interest in music, which is showcased by your projects, your, your various creative projects. And can you tell me a little bit about the Melbourne, uh, music scene, uh, which kind of influenced that?
2: Sure. Well, Melbourne's famous around the world as one of those cities, I guess it's a really strong musical scene, Um, there's like, I think Melbourne at one point, I might be different since the pandemic had the most bars, um, and live music venues per capita than anywhere in the world. Um, and I grew up in Melbourne, you know, great radio stations, PBS, FM, particularly, um, a lot of world music and and jazz. So from a young age, I was hearing, I'm a a piano player. So, um, I grew up with classical training, but I got into jazz and blues pretty early on. So I was just soaking it all up from a young age, you know, and um, actually you said you're in Ireland. I finished my music degree in Scotland. Um, I got a scholarship and, and, and finished a music degree over there and then lived in Brixton in London for for quite a while and that was a deep introduction to Jamaican music and then I bought my first sampler in London and came back to Australia, started making beats and then fast forward a few years, I, I was really getting into Jamaican music and realised that in Australia, there's almost, definitely then and still now, there's almost no... Jamaican, Jamaicans let alone you know Jamaican music so um, I flew to Kingston with a couple of Australian friends and ended up I, I took a whole bag of items that I'd recorded in Australia and you know worked with all these great artists in New Grill in, in on the opposite side of the island to Kingston and that was included in Anthony B and Stevie Culture and it, it, it turned into a project that I called Melbourne Meets Kingston just because I wanted to you know, explain in the title that it was the first meeting ever of Australian and Jamaican musicians and I never dreamed that years later I would be using a similar title for this Caribbean project, you know, uniting the music of Cuba and Jamaica.
0: So what was it about Jamaican music in particular that uh, fascinated you? I guess, well,
2: you know, living in Brixton and I just, it was, it was just like I was being pushed, life was pushing me in that direction. Like I literally was just kept meeting these great Rasta singers and then ended up at a small sound system party and Horace Andy's on the m- microphone. I was like, hang on, I recognize his voice from my sister's massive attack records," you know, and um, then ended up at some Josh Shaka parties and just seeing the, the whole building sort of shaking from the bass. And, you know, I was, um, I guess, and I've always loved the Jamaican Patois, the flow, the melodies. I've loved the spiritual dimension in roots, reggae, um all of that really attracted to me and and when I got to Jamaica for the first time in 2004 it kind of all made sense you know I really needed to travel there to experience the music in its um
0: in its true settings you know And what about Cuba then Well growing up it's
2: funny because I'm a piano player and I loved I discovered the Buena Vista Social Club album in my early 20s and I listened to it so much I had a CD on repeat basically and I just loved how evocative that record was and then I forgot about it I mean I got very I guess, sidetracked by Jamaican music and hip-hop and reggae and and the productions. And I didn't listen to Cuban music for a long time, and it wasn't until 2014, Mm -hmm. and I was about to fly to Jamaica, and a friend had just got back from Cuba, and her photos were magnificent. And I thought, wow, I should really get there one day, I wonder where it is. I didn't even know where the Cuba was. And I looked on the map and I was absolutely amazed to see Cuba right next door to Jamaica. And I said, what? And I jumped online and I found a flight, an almost direct flight through the Cayman Islands. So I went for 10 days in that Jamaica trip. It was all very spontaneous. I had an Australian friend in in Havana. And um, so I met with her and her friends and traveled around. And yeah, it was an amazing trip. And then on that last day of those 10 days, I was in a nice cafe in Old Havana and and there was Roomba music playing on the CD player and I was just imagining how nice it would be to mix that with Naibingi or Reggae and suddenly the idea came to me, wow, wonderful project like this had happened. And when I got back to Australia, I did the research and realized there never had been and I called up Sly, Sly Dunbar, Sly and Robbie fame and said to him, what do you think about a trip to Cuba? And he loved the idea and that was sort of got the wheels in motion.
0: So just to, just to understand a bit more, it seems like it was very, everyone has their own approach, I guess, but it seems like for you, it was also very important to have that uh, first-hand experience of actually going to the places and experiencing uh, what life was there. It's culture at lar- large, but also it's the the way life is there, right?
2: Oh, 100%. And also to, you know, I mean, to meet people and to, to you know, see the music studios and to get a sense of how the, how everything works in different places, you know. And um, and I would definitely say these two islands, they're, a cult, they're an energetic hotspot on the planet for sure, but they're culturally very rich and very unique. And, um, you know, I've been coming to Cuba regularly ever since and, um, you know, there's so much to learn about the music and the culture and the people here. And Jamaica and Cuba are vastly different, you know, they have different languages. Um, and very different cultures but at the same time they have very similar roots in the way that you know the Caribbean islands that were, that were colonized and then slavery and and then and, and and the aftermath of all of that so you know very 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 interesting places and very rich musically and historically um and very sort of distinct i guess evolutionary paths with the way that the music evolved and changed and yet they have very common roots, and and that was very um, interesting to explore that in these two albums, Havana meets Kingston, Part One and Part Two, which is just released today.
0: So, uh, about these uh, these shared roots, uh, let's say, uh, what would be some examples of that?
2: I remember my first, uh, trip, actually my second trip to Santiago to Cuba, and I was with my friend Nicodemus. He's a great DJ from New York, and um, and we were talking about you know obviously the guitar skank in in reggae music is a very important distinctive sort of percuss- percussive driving force in reggae and ska and 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 me and my friend Nico were we'd just been watching a Cuban band and realizing that the guiro, which is a, a sort of a, a scrapey-sounding sort of percussion instrument, does exactly the same role in Cuban music, you know. And that's one thing. Definitely mixing these records was I was able to combine the Cuban percussion and the Jamaican, um, you know, guitar skangs and and rhythms r- very easily. It was very natural to kind of bring them together. And I guess on a on a on a. Um, on a, on a wider sort of tangent. You've got the Naibungi drums, um, you know, which is a chanting, um, spiritual, percussive. Um, this, you've got the Kedi, the the the, funde, the bass drum. And I've been to a... a, a um, in Jamaica, I've been to a sort of a spiritual ceremony where it was nai music all night, just the drums and the vocal chanting. And then in Cuba, they have the rumba, which is just the percussion and the yelling and wailing and chanting, and rumba's far more hectic. And I've been to a rumba ceremony in Havana, and it's quite an experience, you know. But yet they're, they're serving similar purpose and function and maintaining that African, I guess, the African roots and the, 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 the spiritual roots and the musical roots of the African uh, mainland, and they've survived in the Caribbean for 100 years afterwards, you know, um, but evolved in their own different ways.
3: Aunque tú me has echado en el abandono Aunque ya ha muerto todas mis ilusiones En vez de maldecirte con gusto en cono En mis sueños te colmo En mis sueños te colmo Sufro la inmensa pena de tu vivo Y siento el dolor profundo de tu partida Y lloro sin que sepas que el llanto mío Tiene lágrimas negras, tiene lágrimas negras Como mi vida
0: The track you are hearing just now is from Mister Savona Presents Havana meets Kingston Volume 2, available now. While connected by common African roots and colonial histories, the music of Cuba and Jamaica have travelled largely in separate directions. Their influence on the music of the world has been immeasurable, but their influence on each other has been less evident until now. And here to tell us more about this visionary project that finally brings these cultures together is the man who envisioned it all, Jake Savona.
3: Y siento el dolor profundo de tu partida y yo sin que sepas que el llanto mío tiene lágrimas negras, tiene lágrimas negras
0: So, getting to uh, getting into like a discussion of uh, this uh, particular project, uh, Havana meets Kingston. What what was that like? I mean, how did you actually uh, get that to to kind of materialize? Because uh, it seems very ambitious and difficult and challenging to kind of even put together.
2: The fir- the first thing was having the idea, and you know, it was like. Um um, in, when in Havana, when I had the idea, it was like a trainer's track. It's like, wow, this would be an amazing project, you know. So, first thing was having the idea, and and I had this feeling it wanted to happen, and you know that might sound a little bit, um, I don't know the word, but uh, indulgent or something, but it was, felt like like. It, wa- it was a project wanting to be born, and there were so many things that just happened, small miracles along the way that made it possible, you know. I got back to Australia, I called up the Jamaican musicians, they loved the idea, and then I thought, how am I going to fund this? And a friend had told me about an Australia Council grant, which doesn't exist anymore, but it's basically an international collaborations grant, and my friend helped me write a grant, and we got that, and that was 50000 Australian dollars. Um, it's about £30,000, I guess, which was enough to cover everyone's flights to Cuba and the studio fees and the fees of the Cuban musicians so that really helped I couldn't have financed it myself um, at that point and even now it's, it's tricky you know so there was huge costs, and we ended up spending a lot more than that um, but that was enough to sort of make make it all possible Sly and Robbie was super helpful they loved the idea I explained to their French manager you know I don't have the normal fees that they would normally work with but they, they came to a really nice negotiation and they want they wanted to come that's been the thing with this project everyone that's involved loved the idea They love the idea of mixing Jamaican and Cuban music. They love the idea of traveling to Cuba. The Cubans are super excited to meet the Jamaican musicians and have a new musical experience. Everyone wanted it to happen. Everyone wanted to be part of it, and doors just kept opening. So that's sort of the, the I guess, the short, short answer to a big question.
0: Yeah. And what about the atmosphere then? Because, uh, you know, the collaborative atmosphere and in, in terms of the material then that uh, was actually recorded during these sessions. Oh, it was
2: amazing. So the, those first 10 days at Egram Studios, we recorded at Egram, which is where the famous Buena Vista Social Club album was recorded. It's an amazing. Studio from the 1940s in central Havana. And, um, yeah, the, the first day that, you know, we all flew into Cuba the day before. And when the Jamaicans first got to the studio, um, you know, the Jamaicans don't speak any Spanish. The Cubans speak almost no English. Um, you know, there was no, there was a big language barrier, but I prepared sort of simple charts for everyone. And the very first, verse track we recorded, um, you know, it just, Everyone, as soon as, me and my engineer, in the, as soon as the, all the musicians started playing, it was just like, okay, this is gonna work, you know? It was just the magic. and it was a lot of respect everyone really listening to each other and these are musical legends you know they're highly experienced highly talented um so it was it was effortless basically to make it work it was um the atmosphere of those whole 10 days was incredible and then that gave birth to the project in the middle of the session sly and robbie said when are we taking this on tour and i couldn't believe i'd never even dreamed of it being a touring a live project it was purely a studio um project for me at that time and You know, it's, uh, yeah, and since then we've been very lucky to tour the world and and including probably the greatest concert of my life, which was the Royal Albert Hall uh, Fuse back in 2018 where we played for the BBC Proms. It was amazing.
0: Are you hoping to do that again?
2: I'd love to do that again. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, speaking of uh, this being part two then, are there any significant major differences between part one and part two?
2: Yeah, well, look, part one, it just happened um, naturally that we we did, you know, we did some Buena Vista Social Club classics on the first album. We did Chan Chan and El Cuarto de Tula and Candela. And, you know, we really transformed the songs. But because we we're recording in the same studio that I recorded 20 years ago, they had that same magic and atmosphere. And I didn't, I didn't envisage it but in a way that was a really something really good for me to do because it, it introduced the album and the project very easily to audiences already knew a little bit about Cuban music So sort of like it was a gentle way to introduce the Jamaican and dance element by having these classic Cuban songs there you know um, whereas the second album the new album released today it's far less covers and much more original music and I want to showcase more I guess the talent of the musicians and 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 our songwriting and our, and um, you know there's far less um, uh, sort of references. I guess to Buena Vista Social Club. It's more about the the musicians
0: on this project themselves. Let's talk about the musicians, uh, Jake. I mean, I'd love to know, know more about them.
2: Well, across the whole album, we've got Sly and Robbie. Um, and, you know, sadly, Robbie has passed, he passed away during the pandemic and Bopia PR guitarist passed away too. So it's like, uh, you know, I, I have to acknowledge that because we had over 70 musicians on these recordings aged anywhere between 18 and 80, you know, and I certainly wasn't expecting to lose some of the key members of the, of the group. Um, you know, during, through the pandemic, but it was, um, I guess this is just this is life and and you know not like I said there's a, a wide range of ages and, and And so Robbie I mean his bass is essential to this project and, and I was really hoping to do more tours with him So we were very lucky to have that 2018 tour and I brought them brought them all to Australia So yeah to answer your question sly and Robbie on drums and bass but we also got an amazing Cuban bass player Gaston Hoya. Um, a phenomenal bass player representing the Cuban sounds. Rolando Luna on piano, who he plays with Buena Vista, and I'm also playing piano on more of the Jamaican tunes. We have Bopi on guitar, who I mentioned earlier, who toured with Dennis Brown um, and who passed away from a heart attack a couple of years ago in Kingston, but his playing is essential to this record. Um, then we have this great Cuban percussionist, Jiroldi Abro, who's considered Cuba's top conga player. Oliver Valdez and Rodney are both drummers, incredible drummers. Um, some beautiful flamenco guitar on, on, on the third track on the album, with which is a Cuban flamenco musicians, and they have their own, um, style of flamenco that's evolved sort of, um, obviously it came from Spain to Cuba, Cuba, and then it's evolved in its own way. Um, and then we have a huge range of singers from both islands. Um, Brenda Navarrete is, is a Cuban female singer and rapper and percussionist, and she's a really important part of the project. Julito Padron, who's my Cuban trumpet player, also sings on the record, has a very beautiful voice. Um, representing Jamaica, we've got Prince Allah, Clinton Ferrin of the Gladiators, um, Randy Valentine, who's based in the UK, um, Micah Shamaya, who's a great um, up-and-coming roots um, Jamaican artist. Um, and, yeah, it's, a, it's a, lot of, a lot of names for me to drop. It's a big team, basically. Um, yeah, it's a, like I said, I think we counted 71 musicians and singers in total on this new record.
0: Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. But, Jake, so we mm-hmm. talked about the cultural aspect, and you kind of brought it up there, the fact that there was also a multi-generational element. Uh, what do you think mm-hmm. kind of that, brought to the table
2: well I wanted I I mean the the amazing thing with this music is that just um, the music opens doors. so I was getting to work with these total legends that I never dreamed that I would even you know Babarito Torres being one of the original Buena Vista um, social club members who plays the Laud and he's a virtuoso and very famous in Cuba and it's been so good to have him part of the project but of course I also wanted to represent up young and upcoming artists Um, both younger Cuban and Jamaican singers and rappers. And so, um, you know, trying to showcase, have that, have these, the older artists that can really lay the foundation and represent, um, both islands and then have the newer artists with their new sounds and new styles, um, to bring to the table, you know. So it's, it's certainly a project that's not, um, it's many things in one, basically. Um, and, and it's been nice to see how wide the fan base is for the project, actually. Like, it's a multi-age, multi-genre project, basically.
0: Yeah. Uh, awesome, Jake. Will there be a part three?
2: Um, absolutely, but I'm expanding the project and there's wow. going to be the meets the Havana meets Kingston. Well, there's going to be some new, definitely some new cultures and, and countries. I'm not going to say right now because it's in the works, but yeah, definitely expect next year something really special.
0: All right. We'll watch this space. Well, Jake, it's been fascinating speaking with you. Thanks very much for joining us.
2: Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it.
0: enjoyed my conversation with Jake Savona and don't forget to check out volume 2 of Mr. Savona Presents Havana Meets Kingston I also encourage you to join me next week for more globe charting conversations on a new episode of Jazz's Travel and in the meantime check out Jazze's for more excellent content and don't forget that you get access to even more goodies when you subscribe till the next time this is Matt Micucci signing off see you soon